Hi, this is Pastor Ken Ortiz, and welcome to Real Answers to Real Questions. This podcast is designed to do just exactly that. In my 35 years of pastoral ministry, I've had hundreds of people, if not thousands, come to me with various questions, and frankly, it's so hard for people on a normal Sunday morning to come up and ask those questions. So we've created a format where you can submit your questions, and I'll do my best to provide you with as scripturally accurate an answer as I can to those questions. On the following shows, uh, Dan McMahon is going to be co-hosting with me. He has been my co-host for, with my radio program for many years, and he's a good friend. He's an elder in our church, and uh, we're going to just basically engage in a conversation as we go through the questions that you have submitted. All right, Ken, first question for the show. Over my years at Calvary, I've heard Pastor Ken say during sermons, that many Christians cannot name eight principles of their Christian beliefs. Why do you not give a series of sermons on the Apostle Creed? Well, the Apostle Creed is not eight principles of the Christian faith, so that most of the early uh, creeds that were written by the Church primarily focused upon clarifying the identity of who Jesus was. So you not only have the Apostles' Creed, you have the Nicene Creed, you have the Chalcedonian Creed. There's actually a whole series of different creeds that were written in the first four or five centuries of the Church, and the purpose of the creeds was, again, because of various false theologies that would come along distorting the biblical image of who Jesus is, that these were written to clarify and to put into a, a more uh, biblically sound context who Jesus was. So that's the reason why we have the creeds, and so I think that's, that's why we don't just teach the Apostles' Creed per se. Mm. But there are, even in our statement of faith, if you went to our website, you see that we have eight basic statements that we make regarding the Bible, God, uh, the nature of God, and so forth, salvation. And that's really what I'm referring to oftentimes, is that many people who profess to be Christians are either uninformed uh, about what the specific doctrinal points are, or else uh, actually kind of purposely don't believe those basic principles. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we state them as a as a, a principles of belief that we govern our ministry by. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same point, at the time I was saying, as I was reading the question, I thought to myself, you know, that probably wouldn't be a bad idea sometime to actually do a series composed of those things, just because increasingly we're finding that Christians and people are sincere, believing Christians are, and I hate to use this term because it's kind of mocking in a way, but are basically biblically illiterate. Hmm. They really don't understand what the Bible says on these topics. Well, so I've shared before that I grew up Catholic, and we certainly had a very specific Apostles' Creed that was a prayer that Mm -hmm. we, we shared. Do you think that's what he's referencing, that specific prayer, or just the creed in general? Well, I think he mentioned specifically the Apostles' Creed, so I don't know if he means that in specific. Yet the Catholic Church does use the Apostle Creed in the way that you mm. just said it, so you're not making that up. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although we have various forms of the Apostle Creed. In content, they're pretty much the same, but you'll, if you look from denomination to denomination, there's little adjustments simply because they're translations mm-hmm. from Greek into uh, Latin and uh, today in, in German or English. And so you get these little bit of variation in the text. Some people add a little thing here and a little there. Nothing of real importance, more nuances than anything else. 
But that's what just one of the creeds. That's yeah. my whole point, that there are other things that go into greater detail, particularly dealing with clarifying who Jesus was. So it's a good question, mm-hmm. and uh, I just would say that it's probably a good suggestion because I think this is really one of the critical challenges that the Church faces because the Church, in a way, is, as Mark Sayer would describe it as being the disappearing Church, mm. that traditional historical biblical Christianity is actually kind of dissolving in a sense because increasingly we're finding that churches uh, don't teach the Scriptures in any kind of organized fashion. They may uh, reference them, but they're really heavy on application. In other words, the idea, this is how you live your life and become successful, Mm -hmm. which feeds into, I think, some of the worst characteristics of our culture, which is an increasingly narcissistic and even sociopathic culture, which defines life as being the pursuit of personal happiness. The biblical description of the purpose of life is that I am called to enslave myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's how I live out my Christian life. And that choice does not always lead to things that would make me happy in the short term. So, uh, you know, I think there's some validity there, because I think there are many people who say, well, I'm a Christian, and if they really begin to understand this is what the Scriptures teach that a Christian believes, they would be brought to kind of a, a, a crisis point in their life where they have to decide is this what I'm going to embrace as being the definition of my life as a follower of Christ, or am I really not even committed to true Christianity? So for the person out there who doesn't isn't familiar with the Apostles' Creed, or even the term creed itself, uh, if you were to do a series of messages on that, uh, on the creeds, what exactly would that entail? So, so this conversation would actually make sense to somebody yeah. who's not familiar with the creeds. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't teach a series on the creeds, right? Per se, but I would teach a series of things that I think are the fundamental beliefs of the Christian Church, yeah. and and basically those things that can be sort of supported from the Bible, because one of the things we see even within different denominational differences. I mean, one of the things that would separate us from, say, the Roman Catholic Church or the, or the Eastern Orthodox Church is that they embrace and believe certain things that are extra-biblical, hmm. um, so that uh, even you talk about things like uh, um, uh, Seventh-day Adventism, uh, Seventh-day Adventism is defined as being a heterodox. They, in other words, they, they have their uh, they're correct in their orthodoxy. They're orthodox on certain key points, mm-hmm. but then they have additional beliefs that aren't necessarily part of what we've called traditional Christianity, like the abstinence from meats and things of that nature. So that's where I think that there's a need for clarifying exactly what does the Bible teach and how do you support this? Now, I know in having just used these examples, I will have people come back and say, (laughs) no, we're the ones that have it right and you have it wrong, and Mm. I respect your right to be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's really what what it really comes down to in the the final day, because we really defend what we believe as being biblical. What is, what is central to our faith, and what are other areas that are open for discussion and debate? But there are certain centrally agreed-upon concepts, whether you're a Baptist or uh, hopefully a Roman Catholic or a Seventh-day Adventist or something, there are certain things that we do embrace as being central to Christian theology, mm-hmm. which would be the, uh, you know, the, the Godhood of the Father, the Sonship of Christ, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and, yeah. and the, 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 the salvation only in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no way to God except through Him and so forth. And those things become central and foundational to our faith. Okay. So so just to wrap that up, that to clarify, you're, you're just saying there would be a lot more 
more value to invest in doing a series on the foundational beliefs of Christianity other than these creeds that are out there? Yeah, because I would simply... I mean, I, I haven't. If you want to read the creeds, you can go on Google them and <laughs> just put Christian creeds, and you'll come up with all sorts of Christian. There's dozens of them. Let yeah. me put it that way, yeah. because there's been statements that have been going all of that way back to the early second century, where Irenaeus wrote down his rule of faith, and so the, this is you know quite a historical tradition within the church. And in a sense, the easiest way, if you want to go to our our website, we just have what we believe, and you'll find eight basic principles that we find feel are the basic definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Okay, sounds good. All right, next one. This one may be a little tougher, but um, we've been asked to explain the Trinity. (laughs) We've got 40, we've got got an hour and a half. (laughs) Please take your time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think sometimes uh, when we don't really understand an issue, we ask questions that reveal we don't understand the issue. that is, that's, it's a complex answer in simply this, for this reason. Um, we're talking about describing God. Yeah. And if I could say that I comprehend the Trinity, then my God has become very small. Uh, so there's an incomprehensibility about the idea of the Trinity. And I think it's more important to really kind of approach it from the perspective of why do I believe in the Trinity or the the triune nature of God being th- three persons who are co-equal uh, and who are one and yet are distinct in their personality. And I think the reason, first and foremost, we believe that is because that's what we see Scripture teaching. I mean, if you go through the New Testament, you will find God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and you'll find all three of them mentioned in the context or described as being God. At the same time, the order in which they're presented, as we go through the letters of Paul in particular, you find that the arrangement, you'll have the Father first, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. In another place, you'll have the Son first, the Holy Spirit, and then God. And you see this, this co-equal relationship of the three co-mingled into the oneness of the one God. So that even in, in the uh, what's called the great Shema that the, the Jews say in, in prayer to God every day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the rabbinical question is, why is God referred to as three, in three times as being the Lord, the Lord our God, and being uh, one or echad? And the word means one together in Hebrew, mm. like a cluster of grapes. It doesn't mean one alone. It means one together. So one of the things that we, we see in the scriptures is that God has not only expressed himself in that triunity of being, but we can simply go through human through the, the universe that God created. And one of the things we see is that there is simply three-in-one relationships all through the universe. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we have matter, we have time, we have space. Even when we talk about matter, it's a gas, it's a liquid, a solid. We talk about time, it's, we have the past, we have the present, we have the future. Even space has height, width, and depth. Mm-hmm. It just goes on and on and on. You find in geometry, the most perfect form is the triangle, the three-sided triangle. Um, you know, uh, so it becomes the most, you know, the most sturdiest fig- structure you can. It's, it's going to be a triangular relationship. Even when you talk about uh, atomic particles, there's electrons, protons, neutrons. In other words, what I'm saying is that triune signature permeates the universe in which we live. And in a way, that to me becomes kind of a proof that God who exists in triunity has put his handprint in everything that he's created around us. But the weakness of a lot of those arguments, in other words, if we talk about being like uh, 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 matter being gas, liquid, and solid, matter isn't gas, liquid, and solid all at one time. 
it changes in its form. And that's where the limitation of, of a lot of these illustrations come, because what the Bible tells us is God the Father is always God, God the Son is always God the Son, and Holy Spirit is always God the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And yet what the Scriptures are describing is a different role that each of mm-hmm. them play in their interaction with humanity. So we have the fatherhood of God. We, Jesus said, you have one Father, and He's in heaven. So we, we, we're all in this fatherhood of God. It's like the approaching God in prayer. I pray to the Father in the name of the Son, that is in the authority and the power of the Son, Jesus Christ, what He accomplished on the cross for me, and I do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're never told to pray to the Holy Spirit. We're prayed to pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, mm. and the Holy Spirit makes utterance for us with words that we can't form or understand. So... I'm not trying to talk really fast and make this complicated, <laughs> but in a way, it's it's a, a feeble effort with human understanding to comprehend the God who has revealed Himself. Yeah. To me, I think the best explanation probably is uh, uh, Genesis twenty nine twenty nine, where He said, uh, "The things, the secret things of the Lord our God, we will never know, but those things which He has revealed to us are for us and our children forever." And so. I feel that God in Scripture has revealed himself and portrayed himself to us in a triunity, beginning in Genesis chapter 1 when he says, let us make man in our image. Hmm. And uh, he's not talking to the angels there. He's talking to another personage, and we assume that that person is uh, the the, the other persons of the Trinity. So, uh, but nonetheless, that's portrayed in Scripture but to say that I fully grasp that or comprehend it, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's possible. But you gave some good explanation. I like it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Along, kind of along those lines, the next question says, if Jesus was fully God and fully man, why didn't he know the day of the second coming? Well, there, there's a parent in the, in the Gospels that Jesus says, uh, well, let me make, <laughs> take that back a little bit, okay. because we have... The, the Word of God who became flesh, mm-hmm. and that flesh's name is Jesus. So that the Word of God became incorporated into the fleshly person of Jesus. So Jesus was holy man, and he was also holy man who was robed around holy God mm. so that he was both. And, and this is kind of the misconception we have sometimes, because in our mind we think, well, was he half God and half man, or was God some of the time and man the rest of the time? In fact, we're really kind of getting into where the great theological arguments and ultimately the heresies that came into the early church arose because it was trying to, how do you explain this idea that God is fully man and yet he is fully God? And so what we find is that when Jesus is the Son of Man, he portrays himself as a man and oftentimes exhibits the limitations that come with manhood so that on one hand, Jesus could walk on the water, uh, displaying that there was a power of God living within him. But the but he also ate food and breathed air and uh, wore clothing and engaged in every activity. And we're told that he did that, that he might become like us. Hmm. So I think the probably the best explanation is given to us in Philippians chapter 2, where he said that even though he didn't view equality with God, something to be clung to, he basically took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself. And what he was doing is putting himself in subjection to the Father as an example of how we're supposed to live our lives in mm. submission to the will of the Father. So there's a self-limiting, you will, of what Jesus could know 
not because he could not know, but he chose not to know so that he might be like us and that he, in a way, lived by faith so that we could learn how to live by faith. So was he limited in that knowledge uh, while he was in human form? Is that what you're saying? I think he had the, he had the ability to do whatever he wanted to do, mm-hmm. but he chose not to exercise that, that dominion. Okay. In other words, where Jesus says to Pilate, you know, <laughs> if if my kingdom was with earth, you know, the Father could send 10,000 angels, uh, 10 legions of angels, I should say, and, uh, you know, he could dispense the world. It was his to ask, but he purposely limited himself to the capacities of his humanity that he might become like us. Yes. And so, I mean, do I completely understand that? No, because, I mean... Personally, as a human, I'm going to grasp for every ounce of power I can get my hands on <laughs> if I have the opportunity. And that's part of the humility. When, when Zechariah the prophet says, Behold, your king comes to you meek and lowly, literally in, in humility, mm-hmm. uh, it's incomprehensible to most of us that someone who would have so much power, the one who could cause the universe to consist, would humble himself to the very universe that he created. Mm. And yet that's the whole message that God says, I'm humbling myself in order to redeem you. We're called also to humble ourselves as the redeemed mm. and that we one day will become like him when we're, in, when we're in our new bodies. But till now we are limited by our fleshly limitations and he took those limitations upon himself. So that's the best explanation I have. Yeah, well, makes sense. Well, this brings us to the end of our current podcast, and I hope that our responses to the questions that you submitted were helpful. If you found them to be worthwhile and this is a good investment of your time, we encourage you to write a review and uh, send us your comments. This is a forum in which we're looking to have a dialogue with those who listen. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we'd encourage you to submit those. Uh, You can do that easily by just going to our website at www.calvaryspokane.com. And we'll take them as they come in. Just about any question is okay, but we just like to say that we try to answer biblical questions. Uh, I can't give you financial advice or medical advice, but I can tell you what the Bible has to say. Uh, We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can join with us regularly as we continue to answer your questions with what we believe are real biblical answers.